How to apply for a job How to advance from the mailroom How to sit down at a desk How to dictate memorandums How to develop executive style How to commute in a three-button suit With that weary executive smile This book is all that I need How to, how to succeed How to observe personnel How to select whom to lunch with How to avoid petty friends How to begin making contacts How to walk into a conference room With an idea Bringing business idea That will make your expense account This book is all that I need How to, how to succeed Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, November 14th, 2021. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. And he, and he huffed, and he puffed, and he blew the house down. Was that you last night, making all that wind? No, I cannot no. be. I I'm not <laughs> responsible. <laughs> Are you going to go see the Winnie the Pooh on 42nd Street? Oh, I have an RSVP'd. Oh, I'm glad you reminded me. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I was gonna, you know, I was like, oh, that's interesting and everything like that. But a handful of people who I've seen on social media have seen it. That uh, I literally have not even heard of what you're talking about. Really? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, I have to uh, grip. I'm going to have to uh, send over the... Uh, the uh, information to you, Michael, so oh, okay. you can you can check it out. But there seems to be a, a Winnie the Pooh happening on 42nd Street. Yeah. Rob Johnston, mm-hmm. what's going on there, Winnie the Pooh on 42nd? If anybody <laughs> knows, you do. Tell us in the chat. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Come. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. So, uh, before we get into our reviews, there's a, a, a two little quick things that I wanted to talk about. Our, our friend, uh, uh, our press representative, Kevin McInerney, uh, sent us over this thing where one of his friends had uh, tried to buy a ticket to Little Shop of Horrors. And aside from the $239 price for the ticket they were also being charged like 83 dollars for fees and i i looked at the email and i said wow that that doesn't seem like a that's a telecharge website <laughs> uh i mean telecharge fees are ridiculous as it is but uh not 83 dollars worth and so uh i looked at telecharge for the same show for the same performance in the same seat and i came up with an eight dollar fee so just a reminder for people out there uh to go to you know the, the main sources for tickets, uh, Ticketmaster, Telecharge, um, the box office, things like that, because it seemed like this was a third-party thing, and we don't want you to uh, be paying f- uh, a fortune for these things. So uh, Rob Johnson says that the uh, Winnie the Pooh thing is a one-hour shun, uh, one-hour show. It's done by Disney Theatricals. It's an all-puppet in a style of Timon and Pumbaa in The Lion King. Where? Uh, what's the venue? 
Ah, it's on 42nd. Is it 42nd yeah. Street? Is it the Victory? So Theater it's Row. The new Victory. Oh, the new Victory. Oh, I, I think I'm not. Uh, third floor of Theater Row, Rob Johnson's saying. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, theater Three. I guess third floor theater. I don't know <laughs> because they've still uh, are they still numbering those theaters or they yeah. have they yeah. yeah have they named it the Felicia yet? Not yet. Okay. All right. It's still time. <laughs> hey, also, I just got some breaking news. Yeah. Uh, just in um, on January thirteenth, if you're going to be in Hollywood on January thirteenth, uh, Anne Margaret and Bobby Rydell will be at an in-person oh, screening of okay. Bye Bye Birdie wow. at the Montalban. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, <laughs> smiles, everybody smiles. <laughs> so, yeah, that is uh, great for our folks out in the, uh, on, the, on the left coast. Yes. And uh, I might get a ticket. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've been uh, traveling. We're going to talk about your uh, trip down to Signature in Virginia to see Rent in a, in a little bit. But, uh, yes. Michael, nothing's too far out of reach for you, is it? Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, Signature is a lot closer than, than Hollywood. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing I wanted to talk about was that um, uh, Trouble... Uh, trouble in mind. Oh, I'm sorry, we di- we didn't really finish the, the the ticket thing, did we? Yeah. Because we. So what do you? Yeah, I mean, uh, what do you have to say about the ticket fees? Well, just that. Yeah, I mean, even I, as I said uh, well, before we started recording, I was embarrassed uh, when Kevin brought it up that it didn't immediately occur to me that there was a third party seller involved. Um, I remember a, a year or so ago, my sister wanted to get tickets for something, and she quoted me a. a exorbitant um you know fee and exorbitant exorbitant uh ticket price and fees and i said at that time i said that doesn't sound right i, I said i think you're going you're not going to the best place to get the ticket you you probably wound up on a third party seller because if you just google it you know, you know the, the these places have it worked out so that they appear first yeah when when you you know in the google list and and they look very legit so it's can be very difficult to understand that you're not going to telecharge or uh ticketmaster or or one of the you know one of the cheap the the less expensive ways right. to get a ticket <laughs> instead you're going through a third third party seller who rely on exorbitant fees to make their money uh so please be careful when you when you do search for tickets that you're not making that mistake yeah i i think i'm not sure i have this information 100% correct but i think somebody uh uh purchased official richardrogers.com or uh, oh. a couple of years ago, and they were reselling. Oh. I think it was officialrichardrogers.com, and they were not officialrichardrogers.com. Oh. But, uh, you know, and uh, they were selling a- a extremely expensive tickets. And uh, so, it, yeah, it, it's a real, you know, start off with the official website of the uh, – of the show that you want to see Broadway or off Broadway or in the regions or yes. at, at a regional theater or something like that, start there and uh, click on their ticket links and you'll probably at least get the official uh, ticket price um, so that you don't get killed in, killed in fees. Mm. It's, it's bad mm. enough. I mean, $239 for a, 
you know, a Broadway sure, show is, sure. is steep to start with, sure, but yeah. I understand how that, that price becomes that. But So I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Roundabout's Trouble in Mind. Uh, it's at the American Airlines Theater. It is mm-hmm. opening up next week, mm-hmm. uh, and we're not going to review it right now. We'll, t- mm-hmm. we'll review it next week, but um, it's got an interesting past, Peter, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, This was a play that was done off-Broadway in 1955, and when you think about it, that's really early for off-Broadway. Mm. I mean, off-Broadway you know, started in the late 40s, a little bit of production here and there. But I, I, if I had to guess, and I'm only guessing, I would say that in those days, there were probably about 10 productions a year off-Broadway. I, mm. I won't be surprised if I'm wildly wrong. But I mean, it really, and in fact, the best plays book um, didn't start covering off-Broadway. Uh, until 1960, in essence. And then they only said highlights of the off-Broadway season. It, it wasn't, I think, until 61, 62, they started really detailing each and every production that opened off-Broadway. So um, so 1955 is really early uh, for a play to um, be off-Broadway. And here was Alice Childress doing a play um, about what goes on in the production of a play that is going to be, um, that, that has both Black actors and white actors in it. And uh, the difficulties. Well, anyway, um, it was option for Broadway. However, the producer, whoever he may be or she may be, I have no idea, uh, said, listen, here are the changes I would like made. And you really have to be amazed at Alice Childress, um, who would be um, <laughs> on Broadway, decided, no, I will not compromise in that way. And that's pretty that's pretty amazing when you think of it, because, I mean, um, <clears throat> if you see either the wonderful movie of Bullets Over Broadway or the not so wonderful musical Bullets Over Broadway. It's all about whether or not you will uh, prostitute yourself to get a production. Um, And we find out who the real artist is in that property. And here we find out who the real artist is, too, in this scenario, because indeed, Alice Childress said, I'd rather not have it on Broadway. Um, Let the play die. And um, it's taken all this time for somebody to reclaim it. So um, so this will be a very interesting experience for all of us to see what was on Alice Childress's mind and what was on the producer's mind. Yeah, and the uh, New York Times had a piece on it uh, a couple of weeks back, and it would have made Childress the first uh, black female playwright to have her work on Broadway. Right. We had to wait four years for Raisin in the Sun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So, uh, Okay. And uh, perhaps that's the making of a new trivia question in the future. (laughs) Too easy. (laughs) Well, if you asked... uh, No, me. (laughs) You know, (laughs) if you asked who was the... <laughs> the producer, yeah, that's the producer, right. Yeah. right. Yeah, okay. So that's an honorary trivia question for today because I okay. don't know who that is. <laughs> so, so uh, Peter, you got down to the public theater to see the visitor. So tell us about this uh, new musical. Yes, indeed. It is a new musical. Uh, It is based on a film, I'm told, um, a film that was totally unknown to me, I have to admit. But nevertheless, um, a film that did happen, apparently. And um, so we have the team who did um, Next to Normal um, doing the music and lyrics. So that's a good start to begin with. And um, but the book writer um, is um, Kwame Kwe Arma. And um, wow, I thought this musical was terrific. 
terrific beyond belief. Um, I was very, 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 very moved by it. It starts off in a classroom. A teacher is teaching. He's David Hyde Pierce. And um, <clears throat> and his students aren't paying attention. The, the staging on this really is tremendously effective. Um, <clears throat> Daniel Sullivan did it. Um, the kids are, are, the way that they're not interested was shown to us in a very, very specific way and um, a very real way as somebody who has certainly been in front of high school students. Um, I recognize their behavior immediately, but this is college and this is an economics course. And the teacher, David Hyde Pierce, is a, a hand in pocket type of lecturer with a button down shirt, um, a very formal guy and very discouraged. And as he says, every day is the same day. You know, I mean, he's been doing it for 20 years. So um, the good times of um, inspiring students and how wonderful that would be a long gone. So, so anyway, as I was, he, he usually lives in Connecticut, um, but he has an apartment in New York. He hasn't there in a long time, you know, but now he goes and he goes and he enters the apartment and there's a woman in there and she is scared to death that he's breaking in. Actually, she's the one who shouldn't be there. Neither should her boyfriend. Um, and uh, David Hart Pierce, you know, has to, proof that he's the real guy and they're the um people who shouldn't be there so uh the the boyfriend shows up very very soon and um and they realize that they've been they know that they've been there illegally um we're not quite told i don't think we're told how they got in but i suspect that what had happened was the super was a friend of theirs and said look this guy's never here i have the keys to the apartment i'll let you in i mm -hmm. i would i would like it to be clearer there exactly how they got in there and it is possible i missed a lyric or or, or a line but <clears throat> so i won't uh, necessarily uh, condemn them for that for not being clear on that but anyway they're very very amenable to moving I mean, they, they don't protest at all. They know they're in the wrong and um, they pack up and David I. Pierce feels bad for them. Uh, he just feels so bad for them that he says, look, you're here, stay. Now, I will admit that seems far fetched. Um, the irony is that both David Hyde Pierce and they are very nervous about the situation, especially the woman. Um, she doesn't know what's going to happen in the middle of the night with this guy. She doesn't trust him. Um, so th there's a little bit of that as well. There should be. Who wouldn't? Um, it's amazing when you think of it that he's saying stay here. But the thing is, you really get the impression that this man needs something new in his life. Because as he said, every day is the same. He needs something new. And he's got a good heart. And I think this is a very worthwhile character. All right. So um, the uh, the boyfriend is one who plays the drums, um, one of those big drums, uh, not just uh, drums like in a band um, with a foot pedal or anything like that. But um, I don't know the term for it, but um, obviously there's a term for these big drums. And um, kettle yes, drum or a timpani. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think it's uh, it, it didn't look like either one of those to me, but a, a very ethnic looking drum. Uh, oh, if, oh, uh, I see. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. It's my fault because I don't know the terminology. Yeah. But anyway, he has two of them and um, he teaches David Hard Pierce to play. And, and, and it takes a while for David Hard Pierce to get the hang of it, because, again, he's uh, the subtype guy. And the idea of really letting your soul come out um, through your music is uh, certainly a very important part of this. Um, put your heart into your hands and play. Um, Tarek, uh, the name of the um, boyfriend, um, <clears throat> says to him, and he really gets into it. 
and um, what you have here is one of those traditional situations where you have a fish out of water who is either going to adapt to what he is learning or reject it. Well, they go downtown uh, with a whole bunch of these uh, drummers and David Hyde Pierce either has to get with it or reject it. And um, even though he's not terrific at it, he's willing to learn and he's interested. So everything is going very well. And in the traditional musical theater where joy happens, disaster soon follows. I mean, after the King and, Anna dance, shall we dance? What happens? Uh, they come in and say that they've captured Tuptim and Lunta is, is dead. And so um, <clears throat> when Annie thinks that uh, she has, um, she's agreed that Daddy Warbucks is going to be <laughs> her father, immediately the mudges come in. And, you know, so, so um, everything's going well. And then what happens is they go to take the subway. And in taking the subway, um, they put their Metro cards in. And unfortunately, the drum winds up pushing the the uh, turnstile forward. So Tarek just jumps over. You know, I mean, he's paid his fare. But there are two cops there, and they see him as a fare beater. And it really escalates from there. And real tragedy happens after that. Uh. Uh, for a little bit of um, for a misunderstanding, it leads to a terrible thing. Um, and I want to say that that s- specific expression, every day is the same, comes back in a very different way later in the show, a very different way in a very effective way. Um, what also happens is we meet the boyfriend's mother who tells us, well, tells him, tells David Hyde Pierce, uh, tells him that she was not in favor of this relationship that he had, uh, that her son had with the girlfriend. Now, we immediately assume the problem is, the problem is that the girlfriend is black and the boyfriend is, well, he's from Syria, she's from Senegal. Okay, so we say, ah, the mother, mother is prejudiced. No, it's not that at all, at all. And in a way, it's wonderful how we get ashamed for coming to that conclusion. So uh, that's pretty special, too. I'm leaving out a great deal, a great deal. (laughs) There's so much that uh, is in this show that really deserves to be um, talked about. But I don't want to give anything away because I want everybody to go. So um, wonderful, wonderful songs by um, Tom Kitt and Brian Yorkie. Uh, very, very uh, good lyrics, not flashy. No, 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 not flashy, simple, but not simplistic. There is a difference. And um, it's it's very, very effective to see. Um, well, there's a song I think it's actually called Such Beautiful Music, and it actually does, believe me, um, involve truth in advertising. So um, that's uh, pretty impressive as well. Now, the cast. Um, <clears throat> Ariel Stachel was supposed to do the show, as uh, many of you may know. Um, I won't speculate on why he left, but he did leave. So as a result, an ensemble member named Ahmad Maksud had to come in and uh, play the part. You would think it was his from day one. It is astonishing, this performance. He is so secure in what he's doing, and uh, I, I was just overwhelmed by him overwhelmed and just uh, frankly it was impossible for me to believe 
impossible for me to believe that he had taken over. Um, he seemed so much at home in the role. He he really wonderfully, wonderfully um, takes care of it. So um, so that was really quite nice. Now, Joaquina Cacolongo um, is terrific as well as the girlfriend. Um, when indeed David Hart Pierce says you can stay here, um, she assumes that um, he's he, he agrees to this so that in the middle of the night that he can certainly go into her bedroom and do what he wants with her. And you can tell that um, she has good reason to think this way. Uh, she makes clear why you should, uh, she thinks this way. And um, again, you, you feel so much for these people. There's also a song involving the Statue of Liberty. That's a very different take on what we would expect. Don't expect, give me your tired, your poor, that song from Miss Liberty. It's nothing like that at all. But um, let me also say that um, uh, another member of the cast who is um, terrific is uh, the one who plays the boy's mother, and that's uh, Jacqueline Anta Marion, um, <laughs> I think. Anyway, um, she's wonderful as well, and it's wonderful how she bonds with the David Hyde Pierce character. So, um, so I think this is a very worthwhile show. Um, it um, is 90 minutes with no intermission, even though your program will tell you that um, it's act one and act two. So uh, they eliminated the intermission. And uh, there was always that story that when Man of La Mancha in 1776 were trying out, that they had uh, a two-act structure, but eliminated the intermission because a lot of people were walking out and they felt if we could keep them here, they will be glad they stayed. And that's why the intermission was eliminated. I don't know if that's the reason here for whatever the reason, but uh, believe me, you should stay. You should stay. You should go and you should stay. All right. So that is The Visitor at the Public. It's uh, playing through December 5th, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. I hope it moves. I really do. And I think it should. Uh, it would be a very good addition to the Broadway season. All right. Um, Michael, you got over to Stage 42 to see Trevor the Musical. So tell us about that. Yes, very interesting. I hadn't really known uh, the background uh, beforehand, but I've looked it up since. This is based on, uh, well, it says based on an original story by Celeste Lacine and the Academy Award winning short film Trevor, which was directed by Peggy Radsky and produced by Randy Stone. Um, this, yeah, it, it did win an Academy Award. Uh, but honestly, I have to say, I, I've, I've since watched the movie, which is oh. viewable, complete on YouTube. Oh, it's only you. about 20 minutes long. Uh, and so it was a real short. I, I think really, I have to say, maybe it won more because its heart is so much in the right place. And it, uh, it's so valuable in terms of the, the subject matter, which is uh, attempting to um, you know, sympathize with and prevent uh, young people killing themselves uh, because of being harassed because they're they are or are perceived to be gay, uh, you know. And what could be more worthy than that? Um, uh, so, but it's really as a film, 
it's you know as a narrative film uh, it, uh it's really not very good in my opinion uh but but partly because it's so short uh, I mean, there's no attempt to uh, really yeah. tell a, a full story with fleshed out characters. How how, much, how could you do that in, in 20 minutes? Uh, and especially since there's quite a bit of plot. It's about this 13 year old boy named Trevor who um, is he doesn't really identify as gay, uh, at least not at the start of the of the story. He just he doesn't I, I don't think he even has that concept so much. Uh, he's just very much he worships diana ross and he's very much into you know the i guess the stereotypical things uh musical theater and all of that stuff and he uh you know is is very fabulous in that way and um at first he seems to be accepted and and tolerated pretty much by his classmates uh and he even has a sort of a crush although he doesn't quite maybe realize that on uh this jock kid named pinky um who uh you know who's very popular and and really they they seem to have a bond even though uh they're very different types of kid um so that's what happens with trevor and then he um in the musical what happens is uh that apparently the we're told that the jocks um would every year in in a talent show the eighth grade jocks (laughs) would um put on tutus and do a number as a as a you know a silly spoof uh but trevor doesn't want them to do that he wants to like he wants them to do a, a real musical theater number, and he's going to teach them this this very fabulous Fosse esque number. Um, and they're sort of into it. Most of them are into it. Some of some of the jocks are are protesting, but it seems like they're going to do it. And then um, and then they don't. And I won't I won't say any more about that. Um, all of that was added for this musical uh, f- from the movie. It's it's only hinted at in the in the movie. It's it's nothing nothing as definite as as that uh the, the whole thing with the two twos and the and the um well that that part is in it but but the whole uh, other part of it is is really is is only sketched in the movie so they really they really added a lot um to flesh this out into a full-length musical which uh the credits are um book and lyrics by dan collins Music by Julianne Wick Davis. And by the way, Celeste Lacine, until last year, apparently, was known as James Lacine. Um, and he now is going by Celeste, uh, which, was his, which had been his middle name. Uh, uh, I didn't realize that. And I think it says his pronouns are he, they. So that's, that is the same person. If you know uh, the person formerly known as James Lacine, that is this person. And he, he's a, a great talent that we know um, through his performances on stage and also his writings. Um, so it's really good to see that, um, that this got to Broadway. To, got to off Broadway, excuse me. Uh, it's playing at Stage Forty Two, formerly the Little Schubert. And um, you know, we discussed that. I think the Yiddish fiddler uh, mm-hmm. was thought to have broken the curse mm-hmm. of that theater. Um, uh, I'm afraid this one is probably not going to continue breaking it, because although, uh, like the movie, the, the the musical's heart is very much in the right place, and they did a lot right. Uh, in it, but there's a central issue here that they ha- they have not solved, uh, in my opinion, and that is that 
Trevor does indeed attempt to commit suicide uh, when things go south, when his uh, crush on Pinky is revealed uh, and he's so embarrassed and he begins to be harassed. And um, the kids who previously had been calling him weird, you know, weird was the word they were mostly using and maybe Maybe once he was referred to as a freak, but now finally the the other F word is spoken faggot mm-hmm. and in, in the musical, not in the movie. Um, that, that's the that's the basic problem here. It's uh, um, the tone, uh, the tone of the movie and of the musical, for the most part, is very, very light, I would say, and almost comical. And then suddenly someone, a 13 year old tries to kill himself and. Neither the creators of the movie nor the musical, in my opinion, were able to um, successfully negotiate that very, very difficult transition. Uh, I mean, for one thing, for example, in both the movie and the musical, Trevor tries to kill himself by taking a lot of aspirin, uh, which, you know, so even that's a sort of a half measure thing. And they even make a joke about it. Uh, in in both the movie and the musical, after he uh, wakes up the, the the next day in the hospital, I guess he got very sick, but he didn't come close to killing himself. And uh, he says, Trevor says something like that. They told me that I uh, <laughs> that uh, I, I won't have a headache for two years. Um, mm. So they so they even make light of that. And I, I just I mean, mm. I understand why um, they didn't make it a much more hard hitting scene and make him come closer to death. Uh, But I don't, I don't think it really works very well. Um, One improvement of the musical over the movie is that there's this, uh, after Trevor wakes up in the hospital, there's a a male, a young male candy striper who is obviously gay and kind of gives him a, uh, in the uh, musical, he gives him a sort of a uh, it's gets it gets better talk mm-hmm. uh, without without really laying it on very thick. Uh, it's a wonderful character and very well played in, in, in this in this musical. Um, but uh, in the movie, he doesn't even have dialogue, that character. <laughs> he, mm-hmm. he's, he's just there and there's narration from Trevor telling us what happened. Um, so uh, th- this show, uh, I would say the, the music and lyrics are so serviceable. Uh, the production is very well done. It looks like it costs a lot of money. Uh, so, uh, And there's quite a few producers listed. For Roy Furman, uh, John Ambrosino, Josie Bray, Mark Woods, Q2Q Productions, Iris Smith, um, and then about 10 other people wow. with, with Writers Theater. Um, I would say very well directed, Overall, by Mark Bruni, who was not able to solve those problems I just mentioned, but that would have required a major rewrite as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Really fun, great choreography by Josh Prince and uh, a spectacular performance in the title role by Holden William Hagelberger. So uh, if nothing else, you should go to see it for him. Uh, I just wish they had been able to. Um, solve those other issues, which I perceive. It will be interesting to see if if others perceive it as well. Certainly, uh, the New York Times review, which I read after I saw the show, um, uh, said pretty much what I've just said. I, I think he he had uh, very similar feelings uh, that they didn't solve that problem of the tremendous 
shift in tone and how to handle that in a in a way that would have been more effective. All right. So that is uh, Trevor the Mu- Musical. They have tickets on sale through February 28th uh, of next year at Stage 42. Um, Alan Teasley posted in the uh, chat online here uh, Celeste Lacine's, uh website. So I'm going to throw that in the we- in the show notes as well. Very interesting. A uh, little blog post here that uh, starts off with, oh, and I changed my name and uh, talks about the transition to Celeste as uh, their name. Oh, thanks. So really very great. Thank you, Alan, for including that. Uh, oh, one other little interesting thing is there is someone playing Diana Ross uh, mm-hmm. in the show, uh, and that's Yasmin Suleiman. And in addition to the music and lyrics that have been written for this musical specifically, there are about five or six Diana Ross songs. So I, that was curious to me because I know usually in cases like that, the producers have to pay through the nose, but I'm thinking maybe um, because of the, because of the subject matter, perhaps maybe the writers of those songs kindly, uh, you know, gave them permission to use them at a, at a, at a more reasonable rate. Um, because again, it, it is about suicide prevention for gay kids. So may, maybe that's what happened. But if not, I was very surprised to, to see and hear all of those songs in this show. <laughs> it's nice James, to hear that. Yeah. James, if you want to cut this mm-hmm. out, it's fine with me, but I would like to tell this story. Sure. Um, back, uh, a lot of people know that I was a high school teacher for a while, but when I was doing my student teaching, I was doing it in a very urban area, not far from the hotel where I was working. And I was a desk clerk there working my way through college. And um, the term ended. I, I, um, I had finished student teaching. And uh, three of my students came to visit me at the hotel, uh, Latoya, Sharika, and Nadine. And we were talking and we were talking. And suddenly, who comes into the hotel but Diana Ross and the Supremes to check in? These wow. girls couldn't believe their good fortune this was happening. And I am telling you. Diana Ross and the Supremes gave them about 15 minutes to a half hour talking to them because it wasn't that long before when they were these three teenage girls. They were so wonderful to them. It was, uh, (laughs) I I still get chills and uh, tears in my eyes at at this very moment thinking about it because we hear a lot of things about Diana Ross, needless to say, call her Miss Ross, et cetera. But I'm telling you that day, all three of them were terrific. Oh, that's a wonderful story. That's really wonderful. Does anybody know if Diana Ross is mentioned in the uh, MJ musical coming up? I don't know. Hmm. That is Mm, on the horizon. I think I saw uh, that in the cast list. I think I did. Yeah, I I was thinking that too, but I wasn't really sure about that. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, next up, we have Nollywood Dreams at uh, MCC's Theater. that Peter saw. So Peter, tell us about this. All right. Nollywood with an N because we're talking about Nigerian movies and um, there's a bustling industry over there. So, um, so what we have is a young, pretty lovely girl who wants to be in the movies and um, she gets the chance to try out in an open call and they're very interested in her. 
and she's thrilled because she's meeting the great big heartthrob uh, man uh, who's the big star and he seems to take an interest in her well the problem is the director has a girlfriend and the girlfriend of course wants to be the star of the movie and she's getting worried now that um, the young pretty thing uh, is going to get the role instead because she's a little getting a little on and so uh, this is the type of play that in the 60s would have opened at the booth theater on a Thursday and closed on a Saturday. Um, yeah, it's, it, doesn't this theme sound terribly trite to you? The only um, difference really is the fact that uh, we're talking about Nigeria. And uh, that makes it a little more interest as we learn a little bit more about that industry that I suspect many of us don't know anything about. Um, there's also a very funny Oprah Winfrey type of thing that's going on. Uh, occasionally we see people on a, a talk show and, um, and that happens. And um, <clears throat> the woman who's playing uh, the Oprah Winfrey character, a single name, Abina, that's it, A-B-E-N-A, um, is quite good in um, parodying that type of uh, host, but not going overboard on it. It comes very close to the line, but never goes over it. So uh, the people are very good. Sandra Okabunyano is very, very good as the uh, would-be um, young starlet. Um, and um, certainly the director, played by Gabinzi Easy, is very good as well. Um, I have to say that um, the heartthrob, you know, the guy who, um, <laughs> the leading man, um, Ade Okuyaya is uh, fine as well. So uh, it's a very, very good cast. Um, the Amana Rochelle, who plays the um, aging actress, um, very fine as well. But it's astonishingly slight when you come right down to that plot. And um, it seems all too familiar, even though the setting is very different. All right. So that's uh, Nollywood Dreams. It's uh, scheduled through November 28th. 2021 so i'll have a link to that in the show notes i should say at mcc theater which is um on 10th avenue and 52nd street yes. so that's where it is the newman mills theater mm -hmm. right uh that's the uh the new theater that was built a couple of oh, years back it's got right. two two theaters in the in the building right. this is the main yeah. stage mm -hmm. yeah yeah all right so, Michael, uh, mm. you headed down to Arlington, Virginia, to the Signature Theater, uh, which is further away from you than the other Signature Theater. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you could you almost spit out your window and hit the <laughs> Signature Theater. Yeah, that's you, right. You know? yeah. Correct. Yes. <laughs> Not that you would ever spit out your no, window. No, no, never. no, 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 never. It's metaphorical. To, yeah. Yes, <laughs> to see uh, Rent. Yes. So, uh, how has this held up in the uh, post-pandemic world? I wonder if it's got a new feeling to it. I wouldn't say a new feeling, but it's a beautiful production. I uh, and it is the first production at, at Signature since the pandemic. You probably won't be surprised to hear. Um, and they, uh, aside from everything that they've gone through along with the rest of us, they uh, have a new artistic director. Uh, who also directed this production, Matthew Gardner. And can you imagine, uh, well, this happened because of a, what would you call it, a Me Too uh, scandal or situation, which I, I won't get into the details of that because it's it's especially uh, especially unfortunate in, in, in my uh, opinion from what I've read. But uh, yes, Matthew Gardner, who had been very much involved in the theater before and had di directed several things now as the artistic director. And he also directed this production, which is choreographed by Ricky Tripp, 
and music directed by Mark G. Meadows. And uh, the main difference uh, here, I guess, from from previous productions of Rent that you've seen is just that it is done in the round or I guess more accurately in the square. Uh, that is the, that is the setup for signature for i would say most of their shows um the audience is sitting on four sides and uh in this case uh there is a, a sort of a like a catwalk type of uh thing around it on on the second level which where where i was is where i was sitting and actually i would say that it was one of the best seats because you could see, you could look down and, and see everything happening, uh, rather than occasionally maybe having actors in your way, uh, blocking other actors. Uh, I don't think there was that was much of an issue, but that that might have been a bit of an issue if you're sitting on the uh, on the main floor. Um, so just the fact that it was in the round um, g- gave it a much more of an intimacy. Uh, and I think Rent is a kind of show that really benefits from that. Uh, uh, the cast was excellent. Roger Davis, Vincent Kemsky, Mark Cohen, Jake Lowenthal, Tom Collins, Josh A. Dawson, Benjamin Coffin III, Davon T. Moody, Joanne Jefferson, Ines Nassara, Angel Dumas-Chenard, David Marino, Mimi Marquez, Ariana Rosario, and Maureen Johnson, Katie Mariko Murray, and an, a fabulous ensemble as well. Um, the fellow who sang "Will I Use My Will I Lose My Dignity" had a phenomenal voice, and I was like, "Gosh, I want to hear this guy in the lead someday." Um, but it, they were really great across the board. I, I think um, the, the characterizations were pretty much along the lines of what we've we've seen uh, so often over the past. 25 years is it is that right yeah, 25, <laughs> 25 years, years. um uh the the uh the only one who looked quite different i would say was vincent kemsky as roger he had more of a um a grungy look uh and he was dark haired rather than blonde uh one of the uh, re- reviews or one of the uh online comments said he looked like kurt cobain and i <laughs> i could mm. see uh that uh and and uh, but he also had a a beautiful, phenomenal, fantastic voice. Uh, more of a um, less screechy, I would say, more more baritonal uh, than uh, some of the Rogers we have seen and heard before. Uh, but he was really, really great across the board. Everyone was was just fantastic, and I think Matthew uh, Gardner and Ricky Tripp did a brilliant job of staging it uh for in the round uh um there was an issue i'm sorry to say which i guess has almost been true from day one uh with rent and its intelligibility of the lyrics um because it is written for a rock band and if you don't get the mix exactly right the sound mix uh people are going to miss a lot so i was happy that i um that I know the lyrics word for word. Uh, my my friend uh, who I brought with me to see the show had never seen Rent live or on film, mm. <laughs> uh, but he fortunately boned up by watching not the movie version, uh, but that 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 fabulous uh, performance. That bro- I think the final Broadway performance is how they built it. That was uh, captured on video um, with 
Will Chase and Renee Elise Goldsberry, et cetera, uh, that that fabulous cast in that fabulous video. So he boned up on it by watching that. And so he was prepared and he loved it as well. Uh, and he, despite the uh, problems with intelligibility of the lyrics at some point, uh, I really would urge you if you are in the area um, to get to see this production, because uh, I'm I'm glad to say and see that rent has very much held up as of now and of course you know it's also uh, the you know uh, at the risk of stating the obvious it's about the aids epidemic and now mm. we've just gone through mm. a new one so mm. it gets gains mm. additional resonance because of that um and it's it's a beautiful work by jonathan larson i think we're all looking forward to the um well, it's it's here now, isn't it? Yeah, it uh, is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the movie version of Tick Tick Boom, which has just opened to, I understand, rave reviews um, almost across the board. I, I I read one rave, and it it sounded like, I mean, I really wanted to see it to begin with, and now I just really cannot wait to see it. I have to figure out. I'm told it's playing uh, for New Yorkers. It is playing at the Paris Theater. If you would like to see yeah. it in in, in mm-hmm. a theater, so I, in fact, I have a note to myself to make uh, a plan to go do that uh, within the next few days because I think it's only scheduled to be there yeah. uh, through the be- through the beginning of well, or the or the middle of this coming week. Uh, my, before- my understanding is that the, it, it's they're losing money there, but they have to put it in a theater to get right. the uh, Academy Award not uh, f- fulfill the requirements to be nominated for an Academy Award. Yes, that's that's been the case with um, previous. I think it's Netflix, isn't it? Yeah, it's Netflix. Yeah. It'll be on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, you answered my question, Peter uh, and Michael. Are you planning to go see the Tick Tick Boom movie, Michael? Yes, Peter. Yes. Are you going to get sure. out to go see it? Of course, of course. So, Peter, you got to uh, Fordham University to see the drag. So, tell us about this. Well, this is a play that May West wrote way back in Hmm. 1927 and it played a couple of -of out-of-town engagements and it was so scandalous (laughs) that uh, they closed it. It didn't come to New York at all. This may be, I'm not sure, his first New York production. And in, in terms of it being a time machine, it is utterly fascinating because you would never believe that this play could possibly be written in 1927 for a number of reasons. Okay. So, um, there's a psychiatrist, and a patient comes to him, and while he doesn't quite say, I'm homosexual, um, it's very coded language, but that's what he's getting at, and he's miserable, he's totally unhappy, and the doctor, the psychiatrist, is very, very sympathetic to the situation, which unnerves a colleague of his, we'll call him psychiatrist too. Psychiatrist, too, thinks that these people are just perverted and disgusting and all that goes with that. Um, But psychiatrist A has a daughter who's married to a man, and it's been two years, and they haven't done it yet. And she's getting very upset about this. Hmm. And as it turns out, her husband is the lover of the guy who came to the doctor in the first place. So it gets very, very complicated. Why is it called the drag? Because in the second, well, third act, maybe, I don't know, it's hard to say, you know, where intermissions are now. Um, But anyway, there is a drag ball where um, they all show up. And um, so it's just amazing to see these issues dealt with 
even though the language is uh, very, very careful, the fact is that the situations and just bringing it out into the open um, was was amazing for, for that period of time. Because this play, think about it, is almost 100 years old. And to think that this was going on 100 years ago, no wonder it was shut down. So um, I happened to be walking by um, Fordham Theater, um, uh, which is on 58th, 59th, something like that street, um, and um, 9th Avenue. And um, I always look to see what they're doing. They do four productions a year. And when I saw this was happening, I was thrilled um, because really who gets a chance to see this? Um, usually they do very contemporary plays and it's understandable, you know, kids in that program, it's a directorial program, um, certainly want to do the new things. And uh, so you'll see plays by Sarah Rule there uh, quite often, things like that. But um, whoever the director was, um, we didn't get playbills um, and um, was really has to be commended for finding this play for knowing about it for finding it i, I don't know where the script came from i don't know it may be very well be licensed by samuel french for all i know but i don't think so um <clears throat> but really credit must be due to um to everybody at fordham for saying yes let's do it and uh, doing it pretty well the only flaw the only flaw they were all wearing masks and um you know i i understand but i mean every other show i'm seeing does not have people wearing masks i guess they're being um erring on the side of caution but it could be effectively argued that erring on the side of the caution is still an error but um it really did take away a great deal of um mm -hmm. enjoyment from the show you know somebody sent me a video of a musical that was produced. I'm not going to say very much about it um, because I don't want to. Um, it, it's a very, very good musical and it's very well done, but um, everybody's wearing masks and I feel so bad because it's a first class video of this musical that was done in a college. And of course, they want to use it for marketing purposes. And we all know how long it takes musicals to get on. And unfortunately, these masks will always tell people when this video was shot, always you'll know that it was certainly in 2020 or a little bit later. But I mean, given the musicals to sometimes take five, seven years, I mean, people looking at this uh, video in 2028, you know, saying, well, obviously this show is old and if it hasn't gotten on by now, it can't be very good, you know? So, so I feel bad for the um, mask mandates. Um, and um, I, I'm, I'm sorry if that happened because I would love to see the expression on people's faces. And that was certainly denied us at the drag, but anyway, um, made the kids live and be healthy. So I guess that's the uh, other side of the coin, but um, I'm very glad I made the trip over to Fordham uh, to see the drag because really when are you going to see it boy i don't i certainly don't know that play but everything I, I do know about may west she was an extraordinary person you bet this really proves that i mean for any people who thought that you know she's a joke and she was just a sex siren and what have you uh this really shows this tremendous tremendous worth in the, the way this woman was thinking the forward thinking and the caring about it and all that i will say that a line from boys in the band occurred to me i'm not going to give it away what it is but um what happens by the end of the play <clears throat> is something that's mentioned in the boys in the band mm -hmm. is something that happens at the end of plays where homosexuals are involved. But nevertheless, um, still the courage to do this way back then was astonishing. Do you know, have you ever seen a production of uh, her other play called Sex? No, but that is the basis of Sex Tet, that notorious movie from the 70s. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Peter, you also got down to the flea to see Odd Men Out. 
which uh, I think is just a rental. It's not produced by the flea, right? Oh, um, I don't know that at all. Um, Seems uh, like it, no but idea. anyway, so what do you think about it? Well, it's a very strange show. Um, it's one where you come in and you're given headphones and you're blindfolded. So here we are, in, and you have to wear a mask. So, I mean, that takes care of everything now. Everything's covered. You know, your ears are covered, your eyes are covered, your mouth is covered, your nose is covered. Um, they should do Tommy. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, to be fair, it, what it is, is about a blind man um, traveling on a plane, and they want you to have that experience of what it is to be blind. And um, so that's what it really is about. And uh, we are treated as passengers. Um, we are take your seats, you know, flight attendants talk to us, that type of thing. I think that's a little pretentious. But um, nevertheless, once you get into the tale of Alberto, who's uh, a musician, um, he's going home to Buenos Aires. Um, and he hasn't been there in a long time. So, um, so we do hear about uh, his life, um, his uh, well, um, he's he's not a very forward-thinking man in many ways uh, when it comes to people from other races. Uh, and the point is, too, he has a lot of uh, fears. And we understand why he has a lot of fears. Um, that's made very clear from the fact that um, it's, it's, needless to say, not easy to be a blind man. So that's what the experience is. It wants to teach us that. And um, they do have us take us our blindfolds at the end to show us a short film of people who are actually blind um, talking about this situation. So um, it's only about an hour long. Um, you'll either go with it or you won't. Um, and uh, you may tune out because it's very easy to do that as well. So, um, so it, it, I don't think it's a, you should pardon the expression, no pun intended, a must see, but, um, but it is a unique experience, needless to say. All right, so that is uh, Odd Man Out at the Flea. They have tickets on sale through December 4th, uh, 2021. So before we wrap up for this morning and get on to trivia and the musical moments, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link that we each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get to us. Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find our podcast, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an answer for last week's trivia? A song in a Tony-winning score from the 60s, but not a Tony-winning musical, contains two words in a row that many decades later would become the name of a Ben & Jerry's ice cream flavor. Hmm. What are the words? Well, the cast album of Oliver reveals that in I Shall Scream, Mr. Bumble expresses a desire to be a chubby hubby, which became a Ben and Jerry's flavor in 1994 <laughs> and is still made to this day. Paul Witte was the first to get it, not his wife, Michelle, who was the one who didn't do a damn thing this week. <laughs> Quick, a cushion for her feet. Anyway, Paul actually got it while he was still recording and was followed by Tony Janicki. A full half hour later. Then came Juliet Green, Nikki Juven, Brigadude, Mike Meany, J. Aubrey Jones, Deb Popple, and Jack Leshner. All right. This week's question, which I'd like to see Paul and Michelle Witte's daughter Violet get so that the Witte's can have all three jewels of the Triple Crown. 
And the kids should be able to answer a musical theater question because she was named after a musical, Violet. Seriously, she really was. Okay. <laughs> the question. He won a Tony in each of the two musicals that played the same theater. What he said to end the first act of the first show was the same that he said in the second act of the second show. But that time it came in the middle of a song. In a way, mind you, in a way, it served the same purpose. Who's the actor? What were the musical shows that got him the Tonys? And what did he say in each show that, in a way, in a way, mind you, served the same purpose? Okay, Violet, the ball's in your court. I'm not sure that Paul or his wife or Violet are going to be the first ones to get this this morning. They uh, they just got on a plane to Jamaica about 15 minutes ago, oh, so they're not, they're not listening right now. But all right, that's no they, excuse. They touch down and they have Wi-Fi on planes now. Uh-huh. They have Wi-Fi on planes. No all excuse, right, we'll damn it. <laughs> so if you're one of the other people that are not Paul, his wife, or Violet, uh, you can email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com and let us know. Uh, if you have an answer, and if we'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? We are celebrating uh, one of the shows that's celebrating a, an anniversary this year, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, uh, which opened on October 14th, 1961. And uh, certainly one of my favorite shows, I directed a high school production of it, which I'll uh, fondly remember forever. Uh, the kids had a great time with it. Uh, I'll, I'll, it really was, turned out to be a wonderful choice. Maybe not an obvious choice for high school, but it really, they, they really loved it. Uh, and it's, of course, it's got a great score by Frank Lesser. Uh, so our opening music today, we, of course, had to represent Robert Morse uh, in his brilliant performances, J. Pierpont Finch. So our opening music was the uh, opening song, which I, I guess the title of it is actually How To. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- that that's the opener. And then I wasn't sure what to pick for the closer. Uh, I have um, so many <laughs> recordings of How to Succeed. I have the London cast album mm-hmm. with Warren Berlinger and Billy DeWolf. Mm-hmm. I have the French cast album, which is terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I decided to go with uh, Michelle Lee's recording of I Believe in You from the soundtrack, uh, the film soundtrack, because um, uh, I guess a controversial change uh, for the movie was that, uh, well, in the show, um, uh, that that song, I Believe in You, is first sung by uh, Finch with the executives in the executive washroom mm-hmm. of the World Wide Wicket uh, Company uh, and t- sort of towards the end of the show. Uh, and it's uh, a love song to himself. Uh, he's at a, a moment where he has to prove himself and he sings I Believe in You to himself in the mirror. Uh, as a way of kind of, uh, you know, uh, giving himself confidence and saying how wonderful he is because he's, he's nervous about having to present this ad campaign to the, to the other executives. Um, and then in the show, uh, at, uh, even more towards the end, there was a brief reprise of that song by, uh, by Rosemary uh, Finch's love interest. And then she sings it, you know, very sincerely uh, to him. Uh, uh, well, he's not on stage actually. Uh, 
so, but in the in the movie, that was basically reversed. Um, uh, Rosemary sings, uh, I believe in you to Finch after they have had a date and they've uh, gone home. He, he's walked her home and they're sitting on the steps in her apart in her apartment building. And he's um, he's down. He's begun to doubt himself. So she sings, I believe in you to him in a beautiful, uh, very sincere, gorgeous ballad arrangement with an incredibly fabulous orchestration by Nelson Riddle. Uh, and uh, some people don't like that change uh, for the movie, but I kind of think uh, it works. And I agree with someone else recently who posted that it only makes it funnier uh, when, when subsequently uh, Finch sings the song to himself in the washroom with the executives. So um, that is our musical moment to conclude uh, the the podcast and and of course we know Michelle Lee uh, aside from her film and TV work uh, for her Broadway work in such shows as Bravo Giovanni and Seesaw. Hmm. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yet there's that upturned chin And the grin of impetuous youth Oh, I believe in you I believe in you I hear the sound Solid judgment whenever you talk Yet there's the bold, brave Spring of a tiger that quickens your walk Oh, I believe in you Seeker of wisdom and truth Yet with the slam Bang Tang Reminiscent of gin and vermouth